The world is in a climate crisis and all industries must do their part to reach zero emissions. Maritime trade is critical to today's society, but is also responsible for 2.8% of all greenhouse gases. A future where global trade reaches zero is possible, but how do we actually get there? I'm Laura Jacobson, Zero North's Chief Purpose Activist and an expert in sustainable shipping. In Navigating Zero, I'm sitting down with thought leaders to explore the inner workings of global trade, its massive impact on our society, and the obstacles it faces navigating its way to zero. Shipping continues to struggle with its data-driven digital transformation. Perhaps due to it being a global industry with different regional capabilities, needs, mindsets, and conflicting incentives with siloed departments. These complexities could be some of the reasons why this industry has also been slow to adopt technology and reap the benefits of machine learning and AI. My guest today is Danny Lang. Vice President of Business Intelligence and Artificial Intelligence at Google. Danny has an impressive resume. He's worked at Microsoft, Uber, Amazon, Unity, and General Motors. He's been leading some of the most exciting innovations in AI and machine learning over the last 30 years. Danny has been at the forefront of groundbreaking initiatives such as speech recognition, large-scale machine learning, and recently, the enablement of generative AI. Danny has been a board member of Zero North since its inception and is incredibly passionate about leveraging his expertise to help shipping reach zero. Danny has worked at a lot of digital first companies and recognizes that shipping is siloed and traditional in many of its practices. Data science is used in modern shipping, but machine learning requires an extreme amount of data to train its models. More data than perhaps exists today, or that is cleaned, quality checked, and standardized for it to be utilized. So where do we go from here? It is very difficult to attack uh, challenges like sustainability in a real and true impactful way if you don't have the data. If you don't have data, you act on intuition, uh, perception, ideas, but you're not really acting on facts, and more importantly, Without the data, you don't really know if what you're doing has the right impact that you're aiming for. So that's why it's so important to have data to measure and make decisions, and then also have data to measure the impact of what you're doing so that you know that you're doing the right thing. Danny, I'd like to ask you about synthetic data. Could you explain what it is and how we could possibly use it in shipping? Absolutely. It sounds really fancy with synthetic data, but we can also think of it in another way, which is it's data that comes from simulation, it's data that comes from gameplay. And for instance, if you look at how vessels, they uh, travel the seas, you can simulate weather, you can simulate uh, currents, and then you can sort of play out different, uh, what we can call war games against nature here and see what is the best route to take. Yeah, These things cannot be computed. It's way too complex. But what you can do is you can simulate and generate synthetic data that you can play up against and in that way test what you're doing. If you, for instance, are routing a vessel between two ports. 
The use cases for synthetic data could be vast in our industry. For example, the traditional Noom report could replace its manual entry with an automatic capture of thousands of data points. When sensors are not available on board, synthetic data could potentially fill in the holes when poor quality data exists. This would enable a vessel's daily snapshot to become useful, real-time, high-frequency data. During Danny's time at Uber, he was part of bringing groundbreaking machine learning algorithms into their services, many services that we are all familiar with as passengers. The premise was simple. A user's phone sends a location ping every two seconds. This data can be used to monitor traffic in real time and can even be used to predict time of arrival. It also allows drivers to be matched with the most appropriate passenger and vice versa. When you have all those thousands of data points, you can see the immediate impact of understanding patterns in complex dynamic environments, such as traffic while driving or weather while sailing. And then you can collect all that data into a larger simulation of what if scenarios. Yeah, what, what if the weather was different? What if we took a different route? What if we slow down or what if we speed up? What are the consequences of that? And then really understand at the end of the day, that's what we want. You understand how do we get from A to B in the most sustainable way? When you were at Uber, you did work on large scale route optimization models. Is there any learnings from that experience that we can deep dive into? For example, how are the principles of machine learning currently being used and how could we utilize them in a different way? The core lesson learned from Uber was that by using vast amounts of data and machine learning, which you know a lot of people nowadays call AI, but at that time we just called it machine learning, what Uber was able to do was to go into just any city and very quickly outcompete the local taxi companies. And those companies, they ran on, uh, I would say, organizational memory or knowledge. They they ran people-based. They routed taxis to their destination from a dispatcher. I still often get into a taxi in Denmark and I say I would like to go to this address and they say, okay, uh, left or right. <laughs> yeah. In some cases, they don't even use any GPS or, or map devices or, or, or gadgets. And that was really a game changer. At the very, very basic uh, level, it was this ability to use real-time data from the vehicles to optimize the pickup and drop-off experience. Yeah. And if you look at that, it's the same thing that companies like Amazon is doing when they <laughs> bring you your products. And uh, a lot of other companies are learning from that same experience. If we take a look at the learnings from that and we look at a vessel and the master and the shore and how these connect with each other, are we actually going to be able to utilize those learnings that you've taken and implement them in a way that is going to fast forward the digitalization and the uptake of technologies? Let's keep the comparison with Uber here, because Uber was sort of presenting a new way of, of uh, for customers to hail a taxi. Yeah. And it was driven by two things. Number one was the smartphone. You would have a phone that would reveal your location when you order a vehicle. But I think it's also very important to understand that that was one of the first breakthroughs. The shipping industry as a whole is, is, is much, much more complicated than 
Uber. We, that, that's a fact. And therefore, we're going to need to use much more technology. Uh, it's going to probably take a little longer time to really, I, I, I'm scared to, to use the word disrupt the shipping industry, but at least improve it dramatically. Because, as you point out, there are so many actors and so many very, very complicated factors in play. We should look at that as an opportunity. I think disruption is about a different way of thinking because I come from the tech industry. But maybe for shipping, we should use another word. Not because we don't want people to feel uncomfortable, but in order to activate change, we need to get everyone on board. This word should represent leading the way forward as it is a shift in mindset that the industry needs to reach zero. But it is also a journey. So I like the word transition because it represents action and progress. Like in many industries, it's business as usual that prevents us from transforming. So whether we say disruption or transition, it's clear that the status quo is no longer a viable solution. We must think differently. When Danny worked at Unity, a cross-platform video game engine, he used machine learning and AI to help game developers using the platform to rethink their monetization methods. This change helped move developers from the traditional to the optimized. When I joined Unity, a lot of the monetization in video games was really based on a purely artistic element. Like you create video games and some of them become hits and you make money and, and most of them they don't become good hits and you don't make money. And most of that was attributed to sort of the, the art and quality of a game and probably also a lot of randomness. Yeah. And what we did at Unity was to basically put a big dose of machine learning and AI into that um, not to remove the art, it's still there, but to put more signs into how the game reach its audience. What we did was to build up a huge amount of data that we gathered from people playing a lot of games and a lot of games being published. And the key point here is to allow advertisements in games, mobile advertisement in games, and let a game run as far as it can before you sort of hand off the players to the next game. If you hand them off too early, you don't sort of make enough money on the first game. If you wait too long, they leave and they stop playing your game and they just go away. And we really learned to optimize that. And, and if you think about shipping, it's this complex relationship between a lot of people and really understand what they're going to do in next in the near future, whether they're going to stay with you or they're going to go to a competitor. If you can predict that really well, you can keep your customer longer. And that is essentially what we have been doing in the game industry. We have really optimized the monetization of each game, which has helped the whole industry, has actually democratized the industry. There are over six, seven hundred games released every day on the Unity platform. Yeah, there are over a million developers, over four billion uh, unique uh, monthly players playing a game on that platform. It, it's just really been growing to these very large numbers because of that optimization. And it's a very complex environment, and I think we can learn a lot from it when we start looking at shipping and and actually the whole supply chain challenge. 
it's interesting to take learnings from something like gaming and apply them to shipping. They may not seem to have anything in common, but understanding how users are engaging with the Unity platform could teach us plenty about our industry. Maybe we need to move beyond focusing on just outcomes and turn our attention to continual optimization of platforms and processes. The data flywheel effect is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but sometimes isn't widely understood. I'll let Danny give his definition. The data flywheel is that phenomenon that when we collect data and we use that data to optimize our business, we are induced to collect even more data because we think that more is better and that that has been our experience. In the gaming world, for instance, it's really about understanding when people play games, uh, when they move up through the different levels, what they do, how long they play. The more you sort of dive in, the better you can predict the future. At, at Uber, we collected a lot of detailed data around the pickup experience. And the more data we collected and the more we used that data, the better the experience became. And it's a flywheel because it amplifies. Yeah, I think it's generally understood in the industry today that we really want to get into this mode where we collect more data, use more data, and then we collect even more data to be better at understanding what's going on in our company, what's going on in our systems. Yeah. Where do you think the data flywheel will take us next? Are we missing anything? What's next is really something that is extremely hot these days, and that is to get insights out of the data. That has been a difficult task. It has been something that data scientists and engineers has been their privilege to be in that space. But what we're seeing these days is a desire to bring the data and insights to every employee in the company to democratize the data flywheel. We want to make sure that the COO, the CFO, and the whole chain down can, you know, look into the data using natural language, writing questions, not complicated code, but writing questions and say, why is this happening? What is this? What should I look for here? What is the question I'm not asking? That kind of, you know, basically posing that kind of questions to, to the data that you have collected and to your business. And so I guess this hot topic you're talking about is uh, generative AI and, and natural language so that we can ask the questions. So that obviously brings up a lot of concern for people understanding what is AI and is it taking over our world? And I think we talk about it a little bit, old AI, new AI, AI that um, is prescriptive and has its boundaries and you ask it a special question that it wants you to solve. So how is that being utilized in businesses today to optimize their business? It's very limited right now. But as you can imagine, all the big data providers and analytics companies are really hard at work on on this particular topic. I really just like to think of it as this is going to be your, the calculator for, for the decision maker. Yeah, It's not going to remove any jobs. 
It's kind of the opposite, yeah. I think that is going to be a very helpful tool. So when I say it, what do I mean? Well, the fact that you can enter a dialogue, we have heard a lot about uh, ChatGPT and Google Bard and other of those conversational tools or chatbots. You're basically going to be able to enter a dialogue with the system and you're going to be able to ask the system, how is my business uh, doing in this particular area or uh, what can I do to improve my business here? And you're going to get some response back based on the data that your company has collected. People will be empowered to ask these questions themselves. And the data scientist would actually now be able to work on much more complicated problems that are much more unique and requires much more handholding. If you take a step back and look at it, you're just going to see a shift in both focus and capabilities that the skilled people, uh, the data scientists, the engineers are going to focus on even more important matters. And the rest of us are going to have this democratized access to information. Many companies use business intelligence or BI systems to analyze data. But being able to create innovative ways to understand that data would open up a whole new world of possibilities. For example, we are seeing generative AI being used to find patterns in thousands of data points, which humans could never detect. Danny's entire career has been built on innovation. Having the creativity to see an existing process and turn it on its head is not something everyone is capable of. But Danny's particular skill is to see these opportunities for change making a little bit earlier than most people. Sometimes it's not easy being a first mover, which we've seen in the shipping industry as well. The first movers are the ones that take the bold action to affect change, but it also comes with consequences. And sometimes I see and act a little too early. <laughs> with speech recognition, for instance, I spent uh, over eight years on that and it was slightly on the early side. The recognition accuracy was about 80% which sounds like a lot, but in fact, it's, it means that every fifth word is being misunderstood or misrecognized, which made it really hard. But I think you have to always push the envelope. But now we're seeing nowadays that with the latest large language models, uh, you may be able to take another step up in these voice systems so that you can actually have a, a very meaningful dialogue with them, not just sort of turn off my light or set the alarm. My whole point here with this is that it has taken a long time. Yeah, We started in 1997 on that. Maybe now I can have a real dialogue with, with one of these systems. It's taking a long time. We need to move with urgency when it comes to the climate emergency. The green transition needs to happen now. Luckily, regulations is stepping up to help propel that change with initiatives such as CII and EU ETS. The emission reduction targets for 2030 and 2050 activated the decarbonization conversation. But we need to move beyond talking now. Rapid innovation is a necessity and cannot be an afterthought. If Danny uses his power of foresight to look five years into the future, where does he think big data and AI are heading in relation to sustainability? I think that when we talk about sustainability, there's sort of a human tendency to, to simplify things a lot. 
We think that if we recycle this or if we do that, it's going to be really great. What I've found very disappointing and challenging is that sometimes when you dive into what you think is really good, it's really good to nature and society and the world, and then when you dive in, you realize, oh, it's not that simple. Yeah. And that's a pattern I've seen now. Every good thing I think is good, intuitively. When you really dive in, it raises a lot of questions. There's a lot of dependencies and costs and, and side effects and unintended consequences, etc. Yeah. But this is exactly where AI has its strength. It can really understand these very deep and complex patterns and relationships that we as humans do not understand. It works with probabilities. So I always want, love to bring this up, that as humans, we like to think Newtonian. We like to think that we can compute and predict everything 100%. We love determinism, but nature is constantly much more like, like Heisenberg the quantum mechanics scientist who basically said that everything is really a matter of uncertainties. Yeah, It's distributions of probabilities that matter. And when you look at sustainability and you look at the supply chain, if you look at shipping, we really need to make a lot more progress in AI to understand all the consequences that go into what happens before things get on a ship. And what happens to things after they get off the vessel? Because it's not just in isolation what we do from port A to port B. It's a much bigger picture that matters. And this is where I think that artificial intelligence is really going to help the shipping industry and humanity in optimizing the entire supply chain to minimize the undesirable impact of it. And I'm now wondering, what would your advice be to the industry? Where should we put our focus and invest heavily in? Actually, data collection, I still come back to that because we are still lacking a lot of data in the business. And then we also need to use the technology to optimize the business a lot more. I think that that would be a very important driver. I think that to a certain extent, it's clearly less about who owns the vessels. It's much more about how they're operated. It's much more about how the ports are operated. And really using the technology, the shipping industry should use the technology to take the highest possible view of the entire process. And I think that's where the industry should really focus. Data is essential for moving the industry forward, not only from a benchmark point of view, but also from a standardization one. My key takeaways from my conversations with Danny are the data flywheel effect as a concept is foundational to our understanding of what more data can do for our industry. The more data we get, the better outcomes and solutions we can provide. Everyone benefits, especially customers. Data is of course anonymized, the benefit is in the breadth of information that propels the knowledge shared with customers. Outputs based on more data points than just your own further empowers your teams to obtain knowledge beyond your fleet. 
you get access to industry trends and insights from which your organization and your people can make more informed decisions. AI and generative AI are such powerful tools, but what is lacking in the industry is the large amount of high quality, cleaned and usable data needed to train these AI models. It just doesn't exist today. High frequency data or synthetic data could be a solution which enables the step change needed for the creation of enough data to train AI models that will power the next information-based system for our industry. Above all, we need bold leadership to embrace and understand the power of data. Change management is critical for the shift from manual to digital and from feelings to data-based decision-making. If you're going to take anything away from this podcast, remember this. We need to better understand the power of the data flywheel effect. Our industry needs to create enough data in order to train AI models. And role modeling of bold leadership can affect the necessary change management that shifts ways of working. These three things will enable the green transition and help us to face the ever-changing challenges in this exciting and dynamic industry. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining me today. I look forward to following you in your role as Vice President of Business Intelligence and Artificial Intelligence at Google. And thank you for listening to Navigating Zero, Global Trade's powerful wave of change. If this conversation has inspired you, please follow us on your podcast app of choice for more fascinating discussions on how we reach zero. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. You can find a link in the show notes. Bye for now.